Karen and I met at the Missy Alliance Awakenings Gathering. We had just come from a very moving luncheon for women who were leaders of various ministries and within denominational settings. It was a really diverse gathering. I mean, Lutherans, Mennonites, Pentecostals, Baptists, and, and more, all coming together in a spirit of unity. And together, we named the pain of silencing abuse and shame that we had experienced in our various ministry roles. It was really raw. It was courageous. It was grace-filled. The word valor certainly came to mind. The thing is, the gathering was so intimate that it wasn't recorded. So I called up Mandy Smith, who emceed the event, to help me tell you the story of what happened that afternoon. If I remember it correctly, we kind of named the pain. You know, I remember the moment where I just said, raise your hand if you've had painful experiences in the church as a woman. And almost 100% of the room raised their hand. My main goal was just to give potential in that pain that, that that wasn't a sign that God was far away from us, but that God could even use that, even if it wasn't his ideal, that God could use that to actually help us lead the church. I remember you asked a couple of questions. One was, raise your hand if you felt rejection. Yeah, if you felt silencing, if you felt abuse. Yeah, of ways we've been told our voice is not welcome. Always we've felt our body shamed. Always we've felt our calling is a mistake or something like that. And that's basically walking people through my story that's been deeply painful. Yeah, I think I was living for a really long time in a space of when I get over this hump, then God can use me, or when everybody in the church accepts my call or values my voice, then my ministry can begin. (laughs) But there is a way that women get caught in that place, and I've been there myself of saying, until every man values me as a leader and listens to my voice and acknowledges my call, then I can't actually fulfill the call that God has put on my life. And that's pretty limiting, you know. And so I think I was hoping to walk the room through a process of just reconsidering and trusting that even if we feel the pain of rejection or misunderstanding or marginalization or whatever we experience in the church, that doesn't necessarily mean God has forsaken us or that is God's voice towards us. And how do we listen so much to his voice that it actually helps us heal from the pain of that so much that we have something to bring back to the church, even to the men who have made us feel that way. I mean, it's taught me the power of the gospel in so many ways that I didn't understand before. I think if there's any way in which I understand how much I need Jesus, (laughs) it's from having to forgive my brothers for some of the ways I've been treated. And came to a point, I remember one day in particular, where there was one specific situation where I was feeling like, until this particular man gets me and hears my voice and is willing to acknowledge my call, then I am stuck. And I felt the Lord say, and that's a, that's a real stuckness, not just a personal stuckness, but like, I have something the Lord, that I feel drawn to do by the Lord. That's a really strong draw. <laughs> and so you feel a real pain of feeling, on the one hand, this thing in you that you cannot contain that is gives you joy and longing and you just have to do something with. And on the other hand, there's this brick wall, you know, that or whatever. That, it's like a plug that's keeping it in. And that's painful. It's, it's like 
being pregnant and being like overdue and being ready to like birth this thing and being told no hold don't press don't don't push yet you know there's there's real pain and real like existential angst so it's not insignificant and I remember praying to the Lord and just being like change him teach him show him you know fix him you know so I can do the thing you've called me to do and I felt the Lord say let it go you know let your anger go let your striving go and there was this like anger in me that came out towards the Lord that was like oh no not you too <laughs> you know oh, wow. and I misunderstood his voice as being like like suppress your gifts Mandy for a second it sounded like the same spirit of patriarchy that I've heard in, from so many humans and I felt a betrayal of like my Lord is the one who's given me this calling and now he's telling me the same thing I hear from so many men. And then I felt him say, no, no, not because you're a woman, because I did, because I released my right to take my pain out on, on other people. And, and suddenly I had a sense of the gospel that allows him to be an emotional being because we don't even know the depth of pain that he took on when his beloved rejected him and he would have had the right to take all that pain out on us. And I'm sure he was tempted to just roll that pain up into a ball and cast it at us. And he would have been in his rights to do that. And we all do that when we're in pain, you know, you just want to come back at that person who's hurt you with vitriol. Hmm. And he, he could have just blown us to smithereens with his pain. And instead I imagine like a cartoon character that, swallows a bomb and lets it lets it blow up inside of them you know that that he rolled all the pain up from his entire being rolled it up into a ball and instead of just casting at us to our destruction he swallowed that and let it blow up inside of him and he felt the pain of the ramifications of his own pain of our rejection and that's what it felt like he was asking me to do he felt like it felt like he was asking me to take all the pain in my body from this rejection and I was like holding it in my hand and ready to cast it at this man and he was saying no swallow it and uh, I thought it was going to kill me I really did think like Mm. my identity was going to cease at that moment but what happened was actually deep release and freedom you know as it always is that when he calls us to die we think we're actually being called to die to something that is central to who we are because we've misunderstood it and what he's actually doing is calling us to die to something that isn't who we are so that our true self, you know, he's calling us to kill a false self. Mm-hmm. And it's like the image from the great divorce, you know, where the one has the little lizard on its shoulder and the angel keeps saying, can I kill it? Can I kill it? And the man is so attached to this lizard that keeps accusing him and making him feel small. And he loves it so much because he's so familiar with it. And the angel is just like, can I, can I just kill it? Let me kill it. <laughs> I want to kill it. <laughs> Um, And then he finally says, all right, just kill it. And then the lizard turns into a stallion and the character then rides away on the stallion. And I I think we all wrestle with that moment where the Lord is asking us, can I kill this thing in you that you think is you and I know it's not you? And then real salvation comes, you know, because I actually came to see that man in a totally different way. I saw him as someone who also was wrestling with a false self. And I came back to him instead of saying, understand me, receive me, you know, still the small little voice kind of 
give me a chance. I have a voice, you know, fighting for a hearing and imagining he was imagining he was this like big dragon and I was this little squeaky mouse saying, I have a voice too. <laughs> you know? But then what happened was this little squeaky mouse of like, you know, trust me, believe me, listen to me was like trying to listen to this dragon and this huge dragon that's 10 times my size was like just blasting me with flames. And so I was feeling so oppressed and so small and it was perpetuating the story we've already been told. Mm. And then in that moment of dying to that cycle, because I was stuck in a cycle of like this little mouse trying to puff itself up to be as big as the dragon and breathe a few little puffs of smoke back in its general direction. And it was just, I couldn't pull it off. I'm not a dragon, you know. (laughs) And so I think in that moment when the Lord asked me to die to that, it broke me out of that cycle. Mm -hmm. And suddenly this little mouse, if you imagine like looking over at this huge dragon and actually walking over and seeing like there's actually a little door in the dragon suit going over and knocking on the drawer. And it's not actually a dragon. It's another little mouse who's in a dragon suit, you know, and knocking on the door and saying, hey, come out. We're both in the same situation here, you know. And so I could go back to that man in that one situation and say, do you see the cycle that we're caught in here? Like, yeah. wh- what What can we do differently instead of, because I had been in a wrestling for something that was actually just triggering something in him that was just continuing the cycle. And mm-hmm. so it was a freedom to break out of that cycle. Mm. And so I've had a few moments since then where I have felt a man kind of attacking me publicly or not understanding me or not getting me. And instead of me feeling like, oh, here I go again, I'm the little squeaky mouse and he's the dragon, you know. (laughs) Um, I remember that moment of saying, I don't see it yet, but I trust that um, he's just a little mouse in a dragon suit and he's just like me and he's just dealing with his fears and anxieties and pain in in a different way than I am. Mm -hmm. And how can I speak to him as my brother, see past the dragon suit, so you told a story to, do you remember the story that you told to the women? About that man interrupting me? Yes. And Can you tell yeah. me that story? <laughs> so this happened soon after the moment of being asked to die or let the pain explode in me. I was doing a workshop at a big conference and it was about 60 people in the room and I was doing a workshop based on my book, The Vulnerable Pastor. And, and about five different times this one man kept interrupting me And he wasn't just asking a question. He was critiquing (laughs) with interruptions. Mm. And the general theme was that I was talking too much about myself and that he came to hear about God and the Bible, and I just kept saying I, I, I. And um, I was trying to be polite and just kind of acknowledge him but then turn the conversation back to the topic. And then towards the end of the session, he just kind of started preaching (laughs) in the middle of the session and And was kind of saying, like, you're not talking about the Bible. You're talking about yourself. And and, uh, I had this strange moment when he really kind of went off in this preaching kind of, I don't know if tirade. It was was really very rude. Mm, Was he kind of lecturing um, you? Yes, it was. So I had that moment of, like, this is very familiar. I've been spoken to in this way so many times before, and it, it tempts me to just go into that it's almost like a script. Oh, we, we know our parts in this script. You get to be the dragon. I get to be the little mouse, you know. Mm. And instead, I remembered the experience I'd recently had. And actually, for the first time, I realized I've never met this man before, but I totally am familiar with this spirit. Mm. And 
it suddenly made me realize I know this spirit. <laughs> the spirit talks to me all the time. But God has already promised that through Jesus we have power over spirits. I, I don't know. I can't discern what part of this is his voice and what part of it is him falling into a temptation that we give ground to because of our own fear and pain. And so I wasn't afraid. For the first time, I didn't feel belittled by this man. Oh, I was tempted to, but I chose not to because I had seen a different way. I thought my only two choices were I'm going to just melt in a puddle of tears right now <laughs> because I'm embarrassed and I look foolish in front of these people who came to hear me speak as a professional person yeah. or come back with anger and say, how dare you interrupt me, you know. Mm. But there was a third option, which was a kind of an emptying. Mm. And I said to him, sir, if you have not yet heard me say how much I need the Lord, if you haven't heard me yet confess to you that the Lord is my only hope, let me tell you now. And so I preached a sermon to him, basically, about how many ways I need the Lord, especially in this moment right now when I actually don't know how to handle this situation. Like this was with tears, but it wasn't with tears of like, I'm just a little girl and nobody listens to me or even angry tears, which has been the case in the past. <laughs> but it was tears of like, even this very moment is teaching me, I just need the Lord. I cannot do this without him. And um, there was like this hush that came over the room. And interestingly, he actually smiled after a few minutes of my sermon and, and he said, my ears are filled. So I don't quite know what that means, but he seemed satisfied. And then security took him out of the room. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a scene. But about, oh, I was bombarded with like 10 or 15 people afterwards who said, that was deeply sacred. It was so beautiful. Thank you so much for just changing the moment. But I don't feel like it was me. You know, I felt like the Spirit really just gave me that grace to see him as a human being and a brother who was, I think, probably anxious about a different way of teaching that was happening in front of him. And he may not have even named it a gender thing. But yeah, ever since then, I don't know, I've just seen my brothers in a different way. And when they have come attacking me and I get a lot of attacks online in response to things I write. I haven't had it in person in quite an obvious way very often. Mm. Um, I'm just not as afraid of that as I used to be and I'm, mm. I have to trust that if the Lord has put something in me, and this is what I was hoping to do in the forum that I did at Awakenings, I was hoping to invite other women into that space of trusting that the Lord didn't make a mistake when he gave us these gifts and when he gave us this calling. We may just have to open our imaginations to how he wants to use us in the circumstances that we're in, even if our local congregation doesn't welcome our call or our gifts, and even if we are in deep pain. Like that story for me was a moment of learning to speak in a new way to my brothers. And so in a perverse way that equipped me for ministry mm. and and in many ways like I, I think mm -hmm. some of that taught me I, ministry <laughs> yes no really yeah and I'm often in the room now where I'm in a group a mixed group of men and women where we're talking about gender issues and it's such 
such a tender spot, you know, it's such yeah. a broken place in our hearts and in the church. And it's been really sacred to actually be given the gift. Like I can't, I can't claim the, this is from my character. You know, this is the good news of God doing work in my heart mm -hmm. that has healed that pain and can come back to men and say, there is nothing inherently wrong with being a white man. Yeah. And that brings like a moment in the room because there's pain for women, but there's deep pain for men as well that they can't stop being who God has made them either, you know. Mm -hmm. And what does it look like for them to find their calling in whatever body God has given them, even though the world is currently telling them, we don't want to hear your voice anymore. And so it's a a beautiful thing to actually have those open conversations where we see one another once again. It's interesting because the conversation that um, that I had with Karen Swallow prior, you know, she talked about how virtue is a space of moderation between two mm. extremes. So as you were talking about how you felt like there were these two choices of either of your own tears and, and defeat or the anger, um, but that there was this other choice. I love that. You also said that this wasn't your own character, but yet it's in moments like this that God does work within us, a new mm. spirit, right? That's when the Christian virtues are developed within us. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah, so I guess it's, I didn't want to take the credit for it because it did feel like a power <laughs> beyond my own, but I guess right. it is something God is making in me. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, the spirit in me is healing those parts to be make me more like him. It's reminding me of um, a series of postcards that I saw from the suffragette era. It was anti-suffragette postcards. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and so it was kind of along the lines of the virtues that you have described. And it helped me realize how much some of those virtues are basically in line with you're good if you do the things that allow the men in your life to become virtuous. Wow. I, I think I think there are actually unkind pressures that the culture puts upon men, mm -hmm. and in order to live up to those un inhuman ideals, which I guess could be virtues too, it takes all of their resources plus all of the resources of the women in their life <laughs> for them to live up to their <sighs> ideals. Yeah. And so these postcards, there was one where there was a screaming baby on the postcard and it said, Mummy's a suffragette. So it's saying, if you want to have a right to vote, you must be a bad mother. And then there was one where there was a, a caricature of all these women in a room and they were all really kind of, you know, kind of bug eyed and buck teethed and they're all having a suffragette meeting and it said, You can hear a lot of plain things in a suffragette meeting and see a lot too. So saying, if you are wanting the vote, then you also are a plain or ugly woman. Oh, wow. And then, yeah, and then the third one was this woman in a red dress and she was kind of grabbing a man around the neck and giving him a kiss and uh -huh. he was kind of taken off guard and, and it said something like vote getting the old-fashioned way or something like that. So, like, you're a floozy if you want the vote. Like, you're you're basically manipulating the men through sex in your life, you know. Oh, wow. um, and so those are, like, the good mother, the attractive woman, the pure woman. There are just caricatures that we've had 
carved for us mm. that this actually made me think, what are all the other caricatures that I am trying so hard not to not to live up to? And I'm just seeing how this relates to the virtues too that are yeah. often related to – so I made a list and I can't remember them all, but it was like the, ch- the childish woman, you know, the um, mannish woman, yeah. the – I just went through so many different caricatures that – I've been told, you know, I, I realized for the first time how much I'm I'm just living in the space between all these caricatures I'm trying not to be. And um, I was actually dancing one day. The Lord has called me to dance mm. for healing mm. and um, dance beautiful. for the healing to come. Yeah. And um, I thought it was dance for the healing to come for other people because the first time I heard that prompt from him was when we were having a prayer a prayer for healing for others. and the, But the more I dance, the more I'm healing. And one particular moment of healing was in one in just one song, I had been thinking about all these caricatures, and in one song I, I felt like my hips jiggle a little bit, like, you know, not as toned as they should be, or my thighs, I think it was. And um, I was like, yep, the, the, like, unattractive woman was this, like, accusation that came to me. Oh, my. And, and then as I didn't as I danced, there was like a move that was a little bit suggestive. I was by myself, you know, but uh-huh. there was a move that was maybe a little bit suggestive. And I was like, oh dear, now I've become the, like the inappropriate woman, the suggestive woman. And then there was a moment where the moves were just super silly and w- wouldn't have looked very coordinated or graceful. And I was like, oh, now I'm the childish woman, you know? And I was like, oh my goodness, how many, <laughs> how many, in this one song, dancing before my father with no one else in the room, mm-hmm. I have these little voices telling me, oh, don't be this and don't be that and don't be that. And I just felt the Lord say, remember when you were small and your kids danced around the lounge room in their pajamas? Mm-hmm. Were you watching them to see if, if they're, thighs were a bit jiggly or if they were uncoordinated or if they were suggestive. No, you just enjoyed the delight of them living in freedom. Mm. And I want you to live in that too. And I'm a long way from getting over those <laughs> things that the culture has put upon me. And I don't know if I ever will be healed from those, but it was good to just be reminded that when we live in the fullness of what God has called us to as redeemed beings, we're going to bump into some of those things. Like the spirit in us is not confined by all of those caricatures and fears mm-hmm. and things that advertising has put upon us and the patriarchal culture has put upon us over the generations. Yeah. Like the spirit's like, I don't, the spirit has no regard for any of that. Yeah. <laughs> and so the spirit has asked me to do things that make me feel like, oh, people are going to think I'm, I'm a childish woman because I cry in public sometimes or the people are going to think I'm the brash woman because I speak out sometimes or whatever and the spirit's like just do it and you will be freed from those as you press into those you know yeah um which is so beautiful because that because those things are all the vices right that's like yes the diminishing of the virtue that God is asking you to step into yeah I think women do feel like, oh, no, the virtues are for me today. But there still is this weird compartmentalization of like, oh, that's a male virtue and this is a female virtue. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I think about what happened with the women in that luncheon space, I felt like there was valor. That's a great word. There was valor there. It was not like an angry fightingness. 
Um, but it was not like this just roll over and submit kind of thing. It was like, no, there, yeah. there's something that is worth being courageous for. Mm. And that's no longer, and it never was a male virtue. <laughs> that's mm. a Christian virtue. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, these are words we don't use anymore. I don't remember the last time I said valor, but right? I love that. Or for I love a that. Woman. And it was a third option. Yeah. Mm. That's beautiful. There was a different air in the room, and I, I prayed that, that that would be just planted in every heart and go home with them and release something in them that they could never see in the old way again, you know. I want that for all of us. It sounds like a poem, but I think it's also kind of a prayer. So as I speak it, I'm praying it over all the women all over the world who are wrestling with what God is birthing in them or how he is birthing them. Let this be my prayer for all of my sisters out there as well as I speak this, even as it's my prayer for myself. She leads with wisdom and courage. She leads with creativity, with strength and conviction. She leads with her heart, her head, and her hands. She leads when she feels strong. She leads when she doesn't. She leads through pain. She leads with dancing. <laughs>